Good evening, and, and uh, welcome to the regular meeting of the Board of Trustees for Napa Valley College. Uh, my apologies to all of you gathered for the, uh, the late readjournment, uh, or excuse me, the late uh, return. Uh, we do have some announcements from closed session. I'm pleased to announce that on an unanimous vote, uh, we have uh, filled the position of Technical Director of Performing Arts, Matthew Cowell. Start date April 1st, 2016. That's no joke. End date June 30th, 2016. Step placement range 8, step B on the Administrative Confidential Salary Scale. Uh, Matthew, uh, are you here this evening? Well, moving right along. Let's, uh, we're at 4.2. We're going to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. At 4.3, we look for the adoption of the agenda. We have some known changes. Uh, we're going to remove item 8.1. That's the approval of the minutes. Uh, this is from the uh, February 11th, 2016. This is due to a technology failure. Uh, we'll pick it up again on our next meeting. We're going to reorder agenda items 9.1 and 9.2. They'll follow the public comment. That's 5.0. And 9.1 is the Napa Valley Workforce Housing. I see Cass Walker in the audience. And 9.2, the sabbatical leave report by Jennifer King. So do I uh, move approval? Second. Properly second. All those in favor signify. Excuse me. I'd like to move 10.2 after 11.4. 10.2 after 11.4. Yeah, the personnel doc after the MOU on the College Foundation. 10.2 after 11.4. There's a position in the personnel doc that relates to the MOU so with the College her, Foundation. Uh, back to uh, Joanne, as your. Uh, that's that's fine. Still stand on the second. As a, so we're moving 10.2 to follow the 11.4, the Napa Valley College Foundation Agreement. Is that correct? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Oppose? It'll be done. Uh, 5.0, public comment. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the Board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the Board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future Board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a five-minute presentation. At this time, I will pull those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on any item on the agenda. Lee, do you have any speaker cards? Um, and yes, please uh, approach. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Marianne Grubb, and I'm a police officer and a proud member of the Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center. On Wednesday, January 27th of 2016, Director Damian Sandoval was placed on a paid administrative leave pending an investigation into allegations brought forth by an academy student. On Thursday, February 11th of 2016, the Napa County District Attorney cleared Director Sandoval 
of any wrongdoing following a thorough and comprehensive investigation. Within the next week, an outside investigator on behalf of Napa Valley College completed an administrative investigation into the matter. It has been approximately three weeks since the completion of the college's investigation, and Director Sandoval still is on paid administrative leave. Over the past few weeks, Academy students and other Academy staff members have repeatedly asked, what is going on? The common theme within their questions is the desire, excuse me, is the desire for the return of Director Sandoval to the police academy. Students and staff wish to have Director Sandoval back at the helm as soon as possible. You should know that I live in Walnut Creek, thus the gas to commute to Napa for one, maybe two hours of work a day or even on a week ultimately costs me money. Why would I make that choice to drive up here and teach at Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center when there are academies much closer to my house? Gas is high and time is priceless. The answer to that question is simple. The high level of respect which Director Sandoval requires that cadets be treated with, as well as the respect that he demands of graduates towards the citizens that they serve. I have witnessed many police academies up and down the state of California, and I can testify that none, absolutely none, treat their cadets with the same level of respect and dignity that is shown at Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center, a behavioral quality that is modeled directly from Director Sandoval. It is with 100% certainty into the core of everything that I stand for when I state that the actions of Director Sandoval are well-intentioned. I am confident if you ask any Academy student with more than two weeks of Academy experience, as well as any graduate or staff member, Director Sandoval's care, concern, and commitment to the safety of every cadet is paramount. It is in the best interest of the students and the Academy that Director Sandoval return to full-time status immediately. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Marianne. Is there anyone else in the audience or down the hallway that would like to speak before the Board of Trustees? Seeing none, I hereby close the public comment section on 5.0 and a move to 6.0, the constituent group reports. Uh, check that. I just uh, 9.1 Napa Valley Workforce Housing. Thank you. Cassandra Walker. Good evening. I'm Cassandra Walker, and my role today is as a consultant to the Gasser Foundation. Um, the Peter and Bernice Gasser um, Foundation is contemplating doing a workforce affordable housing po project on a piece of property that they own behind the Chrysler dealership on Soskill. And as part of that, it's to share with you their commitment to ensuring good quality housing for all of the workforce in the community. Um, Joe Peatman has asked me and several others to compile some statistics based on who is the workforce in Napa Valley and what does the rental market look like and what does that mean to our future. And with that, I would like to show you a little bit about what we're doing, what we've found out, 
and hopefully inspire you to consider doing some housing on the college campus. We're calling it the Stoddard Housing Project. Stoddard was the family name of Mrs. Gasser. What we're hoping to do is provide affordable housing to our workforce in the Napa Valley. And we would like to use this housing as a recruitment and retention tool. I'm sure if you talk to your um, human resources staff, you'll find, and you probably know this in your own work every day, that it's hard to get good quality people here and to keep them because housing is so expensive. Um, we need to address some social needs, so there will be a social needs component to this housing. We want to make sure that we're able to get workers that live outside the county and want to live here a place to live. We want to make sure that this is both affordable income and workforce. And we'll talk a little bit about the perception difference between workforce and affordable housing. Let me tell you a little bit about housing in the Napa Valley. There's a one point, or there was a 1.9% vacancy rate in September of last year. That's a little gone down, so now there's probably about a 1.5% vacancy rate. It's an extremely tight market. It's $562,000 for the medium and house price um, in November of last year in the city of Napa. It's $599,000 in Napa Valley. Market rents for an older one-bedroom apartment are between $840 and $1,600, and significantly higher if it's a new apartment complex. Um, it makes it really difficult for people earning a limited income to find housing. We know that the construction costs of housing vary significantly based on if you have um, the type of construction, the number of units, what your land cost, your development fees cost. We've done a couple of um, performance from some affordable projects that are um, in the process of being constructed, and you can see the range and the cost per unit. So it's a real commitment to do housing. The four major industry categories in Napa Valley are healthcare and social assistance, government and education, hospitality, and manufacturing, hospitality, including some uh, tasting rooms, retail, lodging, restaurants. Um, you can see the existing um, number of employees for 2015 and then the increase by 2025. In the next slide I'm going to show you, it shows how that workforce, um, those occupations, meet in terms of income. Can you, so you can see there's a real need. So you might ask, why is government and education linked together? Why is healthcare and social assistance? I don't know. This is a workforce investment board, and this is the way they consolidate um, their figures. So here we have what we consider affordable housing. Very low income is up to thirty thousand a year, or fourteen, a little over fourteen dollars an hour. Low income, which is eighty percent of the median income is 48,000, median income is 60,250, and they'll probably reestablish that sometime right about now. HUD comes out with a new median income figure each year. And if you go up to 120% of that, which some people consider that to be workforce, you're talking 72,000. And you can see what some of the um, professions or occupations are that those categories fall under. And if you look at that, that's people that we interact with every day. Those are the people that make our lives a little bit easier. That's our Valley's workforce. 
So if you're a single person in a very low income, or maybe you're a family of two and you um, have two working folks, you know, you can look at what your income is and what 30% of your salary should be going towards rent. So if you're a very low income person, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to maybe find a one-bedroom um, apartment that's affordable to you. And you can see going up. This next slide kind of lays it out in a different way. It shows you all the newer, larger apartment complexes that have been built in the last five years. What the market rate rent is, what they're able to charge the market. And if you were a median income renter, that's someone at 100% what you could afford. So you can look just by looking at the chart that people that are in the low or very low income can't afford an apartment in one of the newer complexes. So where are all of these people going to live? And what is the kind of housing that they would live in? So St. Helena Montessori School is trying to do a new project up in St. Helena. It's 10 units, small. It has flexible interior spaces that could be a single person, uh, a small family, two co-workers um, sharing a two-bedroom unit that has a kitchen, appropriate baths, and living space. This is on, uh, right adjacent to their campus. People that live in, or work for the school will be in these units, and their parking will be in the school parking lot, so they're not having to build parking facilities, saving some cost. They own the land. Here's a new project that some of you might have seen in the paper out on Coombsville. It's 20 units. It's low income. It's on 1.1 acres. So you can see what a quality two, three-story in part um, complex would look like on one acre. 20 units. Critically needed all low income. Here's a project that's going up in American Canyon called Valley View. This is targeted for seniors and uh, veterans. 70 units on 3.6 acres. So instead of a larger project, these are small cottages, so they take up a little more land. Here's something new. This is more of a market rate project, similar to what you'll see on Soskal or Solano Road. 171 units. Um, 160 are going to be market rate, but they are including some low income. So it's a bigger, three-story, newer parking, all the amenities on site. 6.7 acres. Mm -hmm. Are they using those Workforce Investment Board numbers when they're pricing these low-income? Uh, they will use the HUD numbers. The affordable housing. So, mm -hmm. I can go back to that second or third slide that showed you the income for low, very low, yeah, medium. That, that, so they're using those numbers for that. Yeah, so those 11 units will be targeted specifically to the 60% category of individuals. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. This is another project that just got approved, another mix of workforce, affordable, market rate. The workforce is going to be more in that 80%, 100% income category. What we're going to try and do on the Gasser property site, there's a total of 5.6 acres. I'll show you in the next slide that it's split between two streets. We were hoping that we can get as much as 225 units probably by the time you do setbacks and parking and pedestrian connections and all of that, we may not get that many. Hopefully targeting some very low at 50%, 80%, and then some 100%.
median. We're considering that workforce given what the, um, the categories of income are. It will be deed-restricted and market rate. It will be all rental. It will be single, family, and family units, one and two, three bedrooms, mixed both social needs housing and affordable housing and workforce housing. So this is the project. Now when I took the aerial and I did the PDF in, it's kind of, it's kind of elongated. So it might not look representationally correct on there. But you can see where um, the Gasser building is on Soskal. You can see the South Napa Marketplace, the Home Depot. You can see the new road that's going back behind Home Depot and across um, Tulake Creek and coming up. So it's those two lighter green parcels on either side of the street. The big sort of darker green parcel is um, the flood conveyance retention basin, basins. And then you have the new um, Tulake Village apartment complex um, that was recently approved. It's uh, 480 units, I think, back in there. So I don't have, if anyone has a pointer, they can sort of. So I think everyone can see it, but that you can see the um, parcel that's to the north is the three-acre parcel. The parcel to the south, right behind, sort of the Gasser building um, and the Chrysler. Really, that's the Chrysler dealership. Is about two acres. So this is sort of the, uh, another aerial of that site. So you can see, you know, Soskal. You can see the area we're talking about. You can see that sort of three-acre. Uh, two-acre piece behind the Chrysler dealership and the retention basins behind Home Depot going up towards where the new theater is. But what this really gives you a beautiful visualization of is how close the college is to that and how close you know the, it is to the Napa Marketplace, how close it is to downtown, how close it will be to this particular project. Um, and you can see sort of the linkages by the river trail going through there. Um, you see some future possible street connections. So you can see how this could really start becoming its own housing hub down in this part um, of Napa. It's a wonderful connection between Kennedy Park and Gasser. So you can start thinking about the synergy that can be created and that real opportunity to use some very creative, state-of-the-art housing, housing that fits with our community that we're doing on the Gasser property, but housing that might be a little more specialized for the college and the faculty and the staff at the college. So this is, uh, thanks to Ron, sent me this over, this um, college master plan, so you can see some of the opportunity sites um, that you might have and how that could link up and the sizes of those sites compared to, you know, some of the different complexes I've shown you. So what I'm hoping to do is get you thinking about some opportunities here, um, talking a little bit about what the needs are in our community. And I'm sure, you know, if I went through and looked at your staffing needs and housing needs and the percentage of your faculty um, and staff that live in the Valley versus commute in, there really might be some opportunities. So here are some things that I think um, are opportunities for you, and I think they're also opportunities for Gasser, and I think they're opportunities for the whole community. You know, sustainable living and workforce housing, a 
creation of a sort of integrated college campus here. Not only do you have your full-service education and recreational and housing opportunities, you have great design aesthetics. Um, you sort of become the focal point between Kennedy Park to the south, the future Napa Pipe, however that evolves, what's happening at Gasser, and what's just happening a short ways up the road in, in downtown Napa and all the activities that are beginning to take place there. And we start creating this hub, this synergy, this place for new housing and housing that can redefine our community as being really workforce-oriented and affordable-oriented. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Any questions from the board? I, was, I had a one I had heard about this morning, the, the Napa Creekside Apartments that mm -hmm. face some opposition and have you guys had any opposition on? We have not had any opposition yet. We have where Gasser is, and in the process is we've decided what we want to do. We've decided where we want to do it. We've gone out to a constituency group. We met with medical professionals, um, educators, social service agencies. Um, we met. We asked Ron to attend a meeting to talk about the need for workforce housing and how we might do it in a different way. So the Creekside project, um, the one you're talking about, was up off uh, near Villa Lane, up off of Trancus, that the neighbors were very concerned about the amount of affordable housing in their neighborhood. Um, it was required to do an EIR and some other things, and eventually the developer decided not to proceed and is putting that project on the market. That project does include, I think if I remember correctly, it's about a 30 or 40-unit um, what was senior housing project that now has been sitting vacant for almost seven or eight years because of that. So down here, we may not have those neighborhood issues and that opposition. Okay. So, go ahead. So, um, it, what is the proposed green space or, or with the development of the housing? How is that going to balance with the green space, and uh, what will be the restoration that will be involved there? Okay, I'll go back a little bit so you can see the aerial. So Gasser, as part of the flood control improvement project, is putting in a very large retention basin that takes up a significant piece of the property. There's going to be trail systems that links from these two particular parcels and the um, apartment complex along the trail system. So there's going to be a lot of linkages into and around the retention basin and to get this sort of recreational corridor going. So I would say the retention basin is more of our sort of green space. Joanne? With the, uh, the qualifying for the very low income uh, and, and I, you know, the language is workforce, but we have seniors who have needs at that level, so it's not going to exclude the potential of seniors being able to? Uh... No, it's not going to. What we're hoping to target, you know, it's not going to exclude seniors. We still have workforce that are seniors. Yeah, very good. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and my understanding that with the uh, Napa Pipe Project, there's actually going to be an assisted living facility there. Uh, and I, my guess... My question to you related to uh, multi-story that you would do, you know, with the Stoddard Project, the opportunity uh, 
on one floor or another to have a series of SROs, which could be, again, for low-income workforce or seniors. Or so is that? Are you if you if you got the plans set to where that couldn't be changed or added? Or? Absolutely not. One of the things we want to do is now is we want to go back to our stakeholder groups who can identify the different kinds of people that might utilize these apartments and talk to them about what they need. There's sort of a market rate perception of what's going to go into a new, you know, traditional market rate unit. It has to have a certain size, really nice bathrooms, a great kitchen, maybe a deck. You have to place, you know. But is that what all the people that workforce people may need? Maybe they need things that are slightly different. You know, there's a lot of um, young interns that are coming in to do work at the hospitals. A, a SRO unit might be great, just what they need. So it's really looking at trying to target the design of this to some of the needs in, in that particular group, workforce group. One of the things that uh, the college has been interested in for years is connecting the gas or drive across the street. Uh, uh, so this, the project you're looking at there, uh, I mean, it would just be we'd need to go through that process with Caltrans or whatever to make that to make that happen. Yep, just figure out how to get that connected going through over those wetlands around in that area. Right. But it's sort of, if you look at a map, it seems to make sense. It gives you another entrance to the college. Right. The other thing is the cor- our corner property, which has been a, a desirable uh, you know, piece for years. And, and we've had uh, convalescent homes uh, uh, interested in uh, uh, in your work with redevelopment and working with Caltrans because of that corner. Do you is that a uh, you know they're not you're you're far enough away from uh, Imola with this daughter project, right. but that's still a big issue that corner for Caltrans. Um, that sort of Imola and Soskal intersection is big. Um, the Stoddard project or the Gasser Master Plan had originally had this these two parcels identified for commercial, retail, and office development. So there is a limited number of residential units that has to stay in sort of the traffic generation wow. zone for that. So that's one of our limiting factors. But we think that there's some other concessions that can be made around there so that we have plenty of parking or, or traffic circulation capacity. So you're going to have, with the Stoddard Project, it would be, you know, advantageous for us that you're going to have to work out, some, have worked out some of those details uh, with Caltrans uh, if we were to I do think something. it's always good to talk, start talking to Caltrans early. Right. It's yeah, a long a process. Ten years down the road. Uh, we use the SRO term, that's single room occupancy, mm-hmm. so that uh, that there's value to our student population, obviously, for, you know, uh, for that. This and the amenities of an SRO, they don't have to have necessarily a large kitchen, and they have all the retail and restaurants that are right there. Yeah, and that's the other, the village concept that Ron has talked about, you know, uh, considerably the, uh, you know, the tiny house concept is, a, you know, is another one. Well, you know, anyway, thank you for this. It's wonderful. I have a question. Are, do you know if we're exempt from development fees as a Napa Valley College? That I don't know, but I would assume that you get this approved and it's all processed through the state, so you are a separate jurisdiction. 
I can I can look into that. But I don't think any of your other development has come under city development fees. And if this is another extension of your min- mission, I would think not. So in the city of Napa, what what uh, I have a I'm just saying this. Yeah. Let's say I have a quarter acre and I want to build a home on it. What what do I need to to break ground as far as fees? What could I expect to pay? You know, just fees alone. Right. I know. I don't have that off the top of my head, and so I would hate to quote something. Ballpark. I would say it's probably about forty thousand dollars between twenty and forty thousand dollars a house. By the time you put in the school fees, the sanitation district fees, de- depending on where it is on a circulation system, et cetera, et cetera. That makes it pretty unaffordable, right there. Well, I think probably it's a maybe even higher. Uh, <laughs> That's why I said, don't yeah. quote me. Let me get back to you on that. But it 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 can be a deterrent. And I think we are subject to, uh, you know, to some city fees based on the impact around us, not on basically on what we're, you know, if we're going to build on the property, but because of the effect of traffic, you know, uh, that are really community related. But I hate not having those answers for you, and I'll make sure that you get them quickly. I would say, Cass, if I can just, you know, did you have, Kyle, just jump in. I was just going to um, ask about CEQA, and that was one of the other downfalls to the Creekside development, too, I guess. So, I think you will have to have your own CEQA compliance. I don't think you're exempt from that. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, depending on what you do, you're probably looking at an environmental impact report. Maybe I don't know what CEQA you've done on your master plan or on your campus already, but that can be a good year-long process. Have you already gone through that process, or are you starting to go through that process? Um, the Gasser Master Plan already has an EIR that was done on it, and this falls within that. There might be a, an addendum to it, but it's not the full, long process. I, would, I was going to say, Cass, thank you for okay. you know coming in. When I was invited to the Gasser Foundation meeting, it was a, it was a large group of people, 20 mm-hmm. or something, and um, a lot of stakeholders, and it occurred to to us as we started to discuss, and I was invited back to talk with Joe, um, that uh, some of the very s- same issues that the Stoddard Project is, is approaching, you know, which is sustainability, innovation, workforce, you know, really works well here, and that we might share um, their expertise mm-hmm. and, and background on it. And I indicated to him we were just about, I'm looking at Diana through the corner of my eye, we were just about in the same place we were, which was, you know, all we've done is really an initial report. So start to, I loved your idea of starting now to roll it out through constituencies to say if we were going to build student faculty and student housing out there, did I say that right? Staff, student, and classified or administrative, whatever it is, for work workforce and students, um, we want to get the background of what our constituencies needed or wanted. And the other piece that I'm not sure that they really got was the unique, innovative building style, that 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 one picture of um, Montessori, right? Yeah. Is a, is a stackable kind of a tinker toy um, modular. Uh, yeah. They crane them up and... and so those are basically modulars that are stacked, bolted together, and then there you go. So it, it creates this low-cost low housing piece. And, and I would say, finally, the thing that, that we share in common is a, we're both nonprofits, so our land cost for developing w- with somebody would be zero. 
um, which creates the or are close to zero creates the opportunity so you don't have to lease these or rent them so high to recover all those costs. So I was very excited with, with that and delighted that you came in. Well, so thank, thank you. you. I, I noticed on the, on the proposal that, that one, a vast expanse of par, uh, land dedicated to parking, and, and secondly, that, that the, uh, the emphasis was away from the river. Granted, you have the Napa Valley Railroad right there, but why the emphasis away from the river when on the on the master on the other um, well I think what you would see in I think that you're talking on that over overhead yeah I think the one that's on the northern part of the site those buildings are oriented towards the river and then there's parking in the center it's sort of in a circular loop so that there's housing trying to face um, the wetlands area that's I'm just now that I see how that's pictured up there, it's really sort of this poor, elongated, doesn't do it justice. But, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the larger apartment complexes. That's about 20 acres. And you're not going higher than three? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Correct. Why? Let's go four, five. Push it. <laughs> Rather than take more land and, and cover it over the paving, why don't you go vertical? Well, I think that's what the community wanted to support. I don't know if we're... Run out of land. Yeah, well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Cassandra. Thank you. Cass, uh, with, the newer, with the newer apartment complexes, where is the Monchart or however that's? Montrachet? Yeah. Right behind Knob Hill. Up off of Soskal, oh, okay, old Soskal, okay, new wow. Soskal. Okay. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Cass. Hey, Michael. Michael. Yes. Before we move forward, can we just real quickly, I, f I feel like we neglected to say thank you to Officer Grubb for all that she does for uh, the college. And uh, Officer Grubb, thank you. Yeah. I didn't recognize her at first because we always see her in full uniform at the graduations. <laughs> I was on my right. Thank you. And before we tackle 9.2, I'm, I'm going to indulge the board to also move 10.4 uh, right behind 9.2. It involves Ms. Jennifer King. 10.4? Which is? 10.4 was on the addendum. Yeah. It was? Oh, yes. So uh, may I have a, a motion to move 10.4 behind 9.2? Motion to move. All second. Proven properly second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Motion carries. I'd like to welcome Ms. Jennifer King to the podium, please. Good evening, everyone. And um, I think everyone knows me, but just in case you, if you don't, um, I'm Jennifer King. I am the head of theater and professor of theater arts at Napa Valley College. And I come here a very inspired and rejuvenated teacher and artist. And last year at this time, you all granted me sabbatical for the fall of 2015. And I went. And can I just tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can honestly tell you it's one of the best things that has ever happened to me in my life. Um, and 
I went to London, or I went to Europe to create and explore theater. That was my mission. Um, and I went to three, or three major hubs of theater, um, starting in London, going to Poland, believe it or not, and then ending up in Berlin. Um, I started off leaving August 5th for London. And in London, um, I was charged with working with my mentor, Jay Skelton, who is a Ph.D. candidate at Kingston University, where he is working on creating a new method for acting and directing, combining Stanislavski, who is the father of modern acting, and viewpoints methodology, which is a modern dance approach to acting. I won't go into much detail with that, but I will give you some um, uh, an example of Stanislavski. If you've ever heard of the method, have you ever heard of the method, or what is my motivation? Right, Ken, what is my motivation? Um, that comes from Stanislavski. It's an internal way of approaching a character. And, Stanis and everyone has been preaching Stanislavski. What is my motivation? Anyone that's uh, you know, saying thank you for an Oscar has had some sort of Stanislavski training. However, um, what has happened in scholarly circles is they've looked at his teachings and his writings right before his death. And his um, minions, they will call him, have taken his writings. And in Russia and in the Eastern Bloc, they have been working with a very physical approach to Stanislavski, which is different from what is my motivation. It literally is, what is your physical action? What are you doing when you're in the space? So it's a very physical approach to theater. And so what Jay and I did is we approached a medieval play that is author is unknown, and we practiced a physical approach with a group of students from Kingston University. And they performed both at Kingston University itself and at uh, a church in St. Peter's Vauxhall in central London. So we worked with these students. They were on their feet the entire time. They never memorized their lines up until the moment they went on stage. Our theory was if they worked with the text in their bodies for four weeks, they would not have to think about it. It came from the physical into the head rather than memorize, 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 and then it's in the body and in performance. Every night in rehearsal was an improv but we were grounded in the text. And this is some very heightened text. If you think Shakespeare is difficult to understand, medieval drama is it 2.0. It is really, really hard. But because the, the students had a physical approach to it, it was in their bodies, they understood it, and as a result, the audience understood it. We had great success with our opening in Kingston, and from there, I went to a workshop in Poland at the Grotowski Institute. Grotowski, I will tell you, in the 1960s was known as the father of physical theater. You can already imagine there's a theme going on here. Uh, I had some Grotowski training when I was in grad school, and it was hard. It was like boot camp for movement for actors. I consider myself in great shape. I run every day, so I was well prepared to meet 14 people from all over the world at the Grotowski Institute to do movement for three days. I arrive, and I'm the only American, and I'm feeling very proud because I run to five to seven miles every day, and let me tell you, I was humbled. From the time I arrived, they have you move me, moving in three-hour blocks, in rhythm, with text, 
creating all kinds of shapes with your body. My body went into shapes I have never experienced in my entire life, either in the woods, in a um, what I would describe a barrel room, to out in an old watershed. We were exploring theater in non-traditional venues in the woods where there was no hospital nearby and no cell phone service. I kind of call it a combination between the Blair Witch Project and Survivor for theater people. It was really hard. And after my first night, being around a bunch of 30-somethings, I cried. It had broken me. And I thought, I can't do this work. I'm too old. And my dorm mate, who's 30, said to me, this work is really emotional. And I forgot that acting from the physical self requires the whole self, and it does break you, and it does make you open. So this may all sound very torturous, but by the end of the three days, I created my own theater piece with a 20-year-old, and I performed it for 14 professional theater people from around the world. And I have never felt more freedom in my entire life as an artist. Um, I have had a voice in my head as an academic and as an artist telling me, you're a fraud, you're terrible, they're going to find out, you're awful. And that has played in my head for a very long time. It wasn't there. It was liberating. And it was fun. So I left Poland feeling very good, and I went back to London. And I arrived for our London opening and found out that our mankind, the the, the lead in our show, had broken his jaw. And my partner, Jay, said, well, we need an understudy, and would you? You can go on with the text, but I need you to go on for the opening. And I did. No rehearsal. And the text had to be blown up very large because he wouldn't let me use my reading glasses. But I had, well, one brief rehearsal, which was terrible. And I could tell all the students were feeling very, very let down because, like, we have to do a London opening with this. So I go into St. Peter's Vauxhall, and I'm thinking, actually, okay, because I'm not going to know anybody. There's not much exposure. I'm not going to see all of you. And I'm sitting there because the character of mankind starts in the audience, and I start noticing all these people from that I've met in London and professors at Kingston and friends that I've made all filing into this church. And Jay, my partner, comes up to me, and I said, you did not give me a rehearsal. And he looked at me and he said, you have all the tools you need. You've been with this play like all of them. And somehow I got up and I started, and that voice was not there telling me I needed to get off the stage. And I had fun, and I was present with those students. And by the end, they were giving me high fives. And one of the professors said, you can tell she's been acting for over 20 years professionally because the text leapt off the page. Now, for someone who is an actor, a teacher, a director, that is high praise coming from a British scholar of Shakespeare. Literally, the next day, I was off for Berlin. And I went there to work with Maximilian Magnus, who is a visual artist. Um, He actually studied with Robert Wilson. And I've worked with a lot of fathers of people. (laughs) So the father of uh, modern acting, the father of physical theater. And he actually worked with the father of avant-garde theater for five years. And what we were working on was how do you approach Shakespeare both visually 
I have, I have the physical now, and I also understand the text, but how do you approach it from a visual standpoint with our modern audiences who like to see spectacle? And how do you look at imagery that will affect you on a subconscious level? So we began exploring Midsummer Night's Dream, and I also started to see amazing theater. I saw Shakespeare set in a modern time in German that was the most amazing transcendatory work I had ever seen, and why? It's because the work was so brave. Because of the funding that the state gives Berlin, they afford to take risks like nobody's business, and the theaters are packed, and theater is alive, and people get upset if they don't like it, and they walk out, but that's celebrated there. Risk-taking is celebrated. And I saw some weird stuff from the Bacchae where pink goo fell out of the ceiling and people were leaving in droves to the most amazing Uncle Vanya with live chickens scattered about, representing the peasant people. Uh, to I mentioned this hamlet that I saw where at the end I was weeping and crying and the woman next to me said, you don't speak German, how did you understand it? And it's because the storytelling was so compelling, because it was physical, because it paid attention to the text, even though it was in German, and it also had a visual component that spoke to audiences of the now, that created a communal experience where people had to be together with the actors. We're so used to seeing things that have already been programmed, but there's something about being together and having a shared experience about this art that has revived my passion for theater and it has revived my passion for our students and for them to understand how necessary this art form is. So because of this experience, I am a different teacher. We are creating theater every single day. Our Pericles is going to be very innovative. There's a lot of risk-taking going on, and I'm demanding that the students take risks and embrace failure. If you fail at least once in my semester, twice, three times every day, yes, good for you. Now step up and let's see where we're going to go. Um, I invite any of you to come into my classroom any day of any week because there is magic happening there. And I teach a humanities course, Culture and Gender and Theater, where those students come and they're not there to take an acting class. They actually take the class because all the other humanities courses have been used up, so they take my class because it isn't quite full. Okay, But it's full when they get there, and they don't know what's hit them. And they start creating theater. And um, there was one, I, I had them do what's called living dramaturgy, where they have to do the history and the cultural implications of a play. They, they research it, and they come in, and they give background, but they have to do it in a theatrical way. And our first play was The Vagina Monologues. And they explored, this one particular group of students had to explore violence against women. And one of the students, they got together and they created their own performance piece. And on their own, without having any tools, we got in, all the students together, and they shut off the lights. And a student with a very shy voice started to sing. And they brought up the lights and they told the story of what is happening in our world in three quiet tableaus with this person singing a score underneath. And at the end, the lights came up, and the students were crying. They were moved. And they practically did a standing ovation for this group. And I asked the student, I said, did you, did you sing before that? And I said, and he said, no. And I said, well, then 
why did you think, why did you sing? And he said, I felt the work was really important, and I felt compelled to do it. After that, I looked at all the students, and they said, oh, my gosh. And I said, do you want to redo your projects? And they said, yes, please, because their fellow students had set the bar. And when the next day when they were doing all of their projects, there were three more groups, it was some of the best theater I'd ever seen in our classrooms. It's happening. You know, the art form of theater, we've been fighting for life ever since it started. But we've been telling stories ever since the dawn of man. And I will tell you, thank you so much for the sabbatical because it reminded me of why I do what I do. And being back this semester reminded me why I'm at Napa Valley College. Thank you. And I'll, I'll take any questions. <laughs> questions? I just wanted to comment that we got to go down and check out the Performing Arts Center today and go behind the scenes and see all the classrooms. And that was the first time that I'd been in there at that depth, and it's amazing, and I look forward to growing that program and helping in any way that I can from the board um, to see more use in the Performing Arts Center and bringing more exposure into the community and getting more attention out there, if possible. Well, we're doing Guys and Dolls for two more weekends, and it's really special. It's really special. I'm really proud of it. It was a good turnout, it sounded like, on the opening night. I'm sorry mm -hmm. I missed it. But I look forward to the shows Great. in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, your sabbatical was at my very first board meeting, and I didn't know what I approved because I didn't know what I was doing. But Are I'm, you glad now? <laughs> I had a great experience, and I'm, I'm a little jealous. We don't have that in the K-12 through system, but I definitely see the value of being able to get away and come back refreshed. Um, and... You know, I'm a big fan of your performances, and uh, I think you took a lot of risks before. I saw Lydia, and it was amazing and very risk risky and edgy and wonderful, and so I can only imagine what you're going to do now. So, Well, you may see some failures now. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but they're just like what we're doing with Pericles. We're doing Pericles, Shakespeare's problem play, and yet we're – I guess what, I'm, I, guess what lear I learned the most is how to listen – and my, my big thing right now is how to hear the room, and that really means listening to students and how to make them co-collaborators in the process. And that's what we've been doing this semester. And it's an experiment, but gosh, is it worthwhile. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jennifer. Your presentation underscores the importance of sabbaticals, and, and uh, we certainly have appreciated your works um, for the these many years and uh, thank you thank you thank you very much so moving on to uh, Chair, I, I, yes. I wanted to add a comment yes please um, I'm not a play person I'm not a musical person and we, you know we sort of talk about you know we like to support what what's happening here and so I go to softball games and basketball games but your presentation uh, uh, really interests me so i will i will see pericles you should that's, come to one of my classes because they're like sporting I events uh, yeah that, i think you're that's a good idea i just might do that thank Please you do. Anyway. i appreciate always it. welcome any of you so there may be questions on the next item okay thank you so we've uh, moving to 2.4 <laughs> the international travel request by ms jennifer king 
I will just say that, uh, can I, should I say, can I, sorry, protocol, can I speak about this? Yes, please go ahead. I just want to say that the research, the part of what I did in working on the medieval play and working with Jay is our research, our work is going to be presented uh, at Buford College in London as part of the S word, which is a Stanislavski, I can't even say it tonight, Stanislavski Symposium, where all of the preeminent scholars are going to gather and talk about the future of Stanislavski. And my colleague, Jay, is going to be presenting, and I'm going to be, well, we'll see. My hope is to be alongside him. So it will require a motion of approval? Move to approve. Move them properly. Second, it can all I, those. Uh, can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead and ask uh, a question, please. Why, uh, why is it that that's all we're contributing is the $200? I mean, in terms of the value to us. Because her, um, tra- her actual travel and room and board is being covered by others. Um, and so the only thing that we are paying for actually is the registration fee for the conference and uh, the cost of a substitute because she'll miss one day of service. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Move and properly seconded. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Have fun. Thank you. Thank you. Must be Irish. Yes. So now we're moving back to the order of uh, 6.0 constituent group reports, beginning with uh, Amanda Badgett, the Economic Senate Report. Good evening, Board. <coughs> um, this past Friday marked our annual PEP forum, at which uh, programs that have gone through the six-year PEP cycle, along with the verification teams, come together with others to highlight what we do here at the college. And I hasten to add, I unfortunately could not go. My, my son was sick, and I understand uh, President Kraft was also unable to attend. But I, among the programs who just completed PEP, um, and this is just a sampling, were uh, the associate, excuse me, associated degree in nursing, humanities, psychology, MESA, and for some lucky verification team members, there was the cooking school. Um, I would like to take the time to acknowledge my colleagues, uh, those who worked as lead writers and support, as well as uh, other faculty classified uh, members and administrators who served on the verification teams. I want to acknowledge them for their time and commitment to this process. PEP is a reminder of faculty commitment to student success and the continual improvement of programs. Not long ago, I was there as the lead writer of the visual arts uh, PEP report, and uh, this was a challenging and admittedly at times grueling process, but it does provide, and I would like to also thank Chris Farmer and Robin Warnell for their support going through that, but it does provide an opportunity to take a step back from the day-to-day instruction in the classroom to see on a program level what is working, where there are gaps, where students are succeeding, and importantly, where students are not and working to address those issues. In fact, um, both writing my department's PEP report and listening to the others that particular day helped me see program, how programs are at the heart of what faculty do here at Napa Valley College. Um, and programs are not merely a list of courses that a student takes, nor is it data on efficiency and productivity, though I understand that's how we have to think of it sometimes. Um, programs are 
For example, the Health Op faculty going to the hospitals all over the Bay Area, making sure their students are getting the instruction needed at the clinicals. Programs are faculty in hospitality and VWT, reaching out to those in local industry for internships or to hear what local restaurants and wineries are looking for in job applicants. Programs are faculty stepping up to sponsor a student club or take students on a field trip. I'm taking uh, my students to Asian Art Museum in May, for example. Programs are faculty taking time to talk to individual students who are thinking of transferring in a discipline. Should it be UC, CSU? I get the question, what do I do with an art history degree? I know, it's a joke, but you can actually do a lot with an art history degree. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them after the meeting. Um, so faculty experience and expertise shape the programs at our college. Often it's the extra miles we log, not because we got into this racket to make loads of money, but because we are the people who meet our students daily, who understand the demands of a field or job, but most importantly, because we feel really passionate about what we do and we want to share this knowledge and see others succeed. At a time when there's a lot of energy and, I might say, fun, uh, funds at the state level around the development of new programs, particularly co connected to career technical education, and at a time when we're vetting and refining our educational master plan, I'm reminded of the necessary role faculty have in any program development. The important conversations that need to take place to ensure that we can do what we say we can do in a long-term, fiscally responsible way. So thank you all to, to those who continue working hard for teaching and learning and student success. Thanks. Thank you very much. Administrative Confidential Senate Report. Good evening. A uh, fairly uh, short report. We are uh, looking, we are actually just put out uh, an email to everyone on campus talking about looking for the Administrator Confidential uh, Person of the Year. So the candidate, is, we are open in taking nominations to select that person. And uh, in May, we will bring that person uh, before the board for uh, just for as an information item. Another thing, a little, little outside of the administrative uh, role, but I just wanted to let the board know that April is the National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. The college, in conjunction with ASNVC Health, uh, our health services, the college police, and news, we're going to be doing a, a lot of programming on campus uh, around the whole themes of sexual assault. We'll start out on um, actually, March 31st, so we're going to get a little bit of a jump with a uh, pepper spray class. We have information tables the next week, clothesline project with uh, news and ASNVC. We're going to have, uh, it's not actually ours, but it's a human trafficking uh, conference is here on uh, uh, April 8th. There, we're going to be doing escalation workshops for a couple of classes on April 11th, information tables. We have a women's uh, safety awareness self-defense class on the 14th. Uh, more escalation workshops we're going to be doing in conjunction with news for all of Napa County, the showing the hunting ground uh, film and culminating on the April 27th with Denim Day. Uh, we have a whole lot of activities, plus we'll be doing information campaigns. We're going to be doing that are generally, we put posters up in the bathrooms and inside the stalls. We, we're going to have information, uh, the stalls and at the urinals, we'll have an information sign there, too, that we are jokingly referring to as the storm drain. Um, 
That's my report. Thank you very much. Associated Students of Napa Valley College report, uh, Gemma Gonzalez. And you are the senator of? Uh, uh, I am the chief financial officer. Chief financial officer. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so I uh, also have a brief report, uh, not much to report upon. Um, this past month, we did uh, help host, um, in conjunction with the Omoja, the African-American celebration event. Um, we had a fairly good turnout. Uh, we had great speakers um, come and uh, even some students uh, reading some poetry at the event. Um, there is talk about uh, perhaps in the future creating a multicultural event as well um, so we can get a higher turnout as far as uh, students and maybe faculty even uh, attending the event. Um, going on, uh, looking forward to the future, um, we're preparing to do some voter registration here on campus. Um, there's talk about having a table either... Um, in the quad by the bookstore or perhaps in front of the library. Uh, but that the days and locations of that is to be determined. We haven't um, discussed it enough yet. Uh, we are also creating a graduation committee um, this upcoming week uh, to help plan for the reception after graduation. Uh, and then the sustainability committee uh, at ASNBC um, is preparing an Earth Day event as well for April. Thank you very much. I don't see Jan Shart with the Classified Association report, but I do see Christopher Farmer, also Classified Senate. Yeah, Jan um, wanted to be here. She got called home because her street's flooding. Go figure. Um, so I get to step in and be the bad guy. Um, uh, first, let me back up a little bit and talk about what the role of the union president is, union stewards, union vice president, everyone in the union. One of the things we do is we act as a buffer between decisions the administration makes and our classified staff. A lot of classified staff, they don't attend these meetings, they're not sitting on committees, they're unaware of what's going on, why decisions are made. So it's important that we remain informed of why things are being done. So as our constituents have questions, we can formulate rational responses back to them. Now, when those channels break down and we are left in the dark, it does not help us at all in that role. And that very quickly erodes trust and morale. And where I'm going with all of this is that in your personnel document, you have a position up for approval uh, for a legal specialist, I believe is the title. And a lot of classifieds were drawn to it because the person up for approval is a former staff member. And uh, we all know her and we all love her. And this has absolutely nothing to do with her, but I received phone calls because this person is getting a pretty good salary, I believe $50 an hour to be a legal specialist, a position that we have not had here before. And because people know her, they know her experience, they know where she comes from, um, they know what she's done at Napa Valley College already. And I got a lot of questions, and Jan got a lot of questions about this this week. And unfortunately, we have no answers. Uh, we don't know where this position came from. We don't know how it was approved. We don't know what the discussions surrounding were. We don't know what this person will be doing. Um, we hope that it's somehow saving the college money on legal costs, but we cannot tell that story because we don't know. Um, so I can tell you how it looks, being the voice of the constituency. It looks like a position was created for someone. And 
the first thing we did was we went back through PEP, we went back through annual plans, we went back through all sorts of plan documents, and we couldn't find any linkage to why this was being planned. And my plea is that, for one, we would love to see the rationale for this position, but my plea is for future, we need to know, we need to be informed, because if we don't know what's going on, we can't tell a story very quickly cracks in trust become huge fissures, morale sinks, and it's very hard to keep um, classified staff going, particularly when you're talking about the sum of money. $50 an hour is four custodians. It's two secretary fours. You could even afford another me for $50 an hour. So, that was a joke. Uh, you could afford a couple me's. So, we need to be in the loop. We need to be kept informed, and I would recommend the board take a closer look and I hope you have heard the rationale for this position because I have not and I do not believe my compatriots at this table have heard the rationale for this position. So that is the union report. Thank you. Yes, sir. You're switching hats? Now? Switching hats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Board of Trustees meeting, everybody. <laughs> okay, I have a little fun thing planned for us here. Where'd it go? So, this is a Prezi, and if none of you have experience with Prezi's, I uh, hope you wore your seatbelt, uh, because it has been known to cause motion sickness. Uh, I just want to take a little trip back to 1980. Uh, some of you might remember it. Some of you might not. Um, and I want to walk through a few things that happened in 1980. <clears throat> this was a Commodore. This was the height of technological uh, home technology, com home computing in 1980, priced around 299 with inflation. That's about 865. That's actually not bad. Uh, Microsoft in 1980 began working on DOS, and it wouldn't be till five years later Apple would come out with a 2E, which was my first contact with computing. Um, also in 1980, on May 21st, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington. And having lived in Washington for an extended period of time, that was quite a changing moment for Washington. I remember very well as a kid, you did not have to dig very far to far, find a coat of ash across your whole backyard. Um, and then very conveniently, the next day Pac-Man was released, which was almost as catastrophic to young people's minds. Uh, but if you are a gamer, you know that Pac-Man changed the landscape. It was the first time that uh, video games were put out in the public eye, and you could go to your local arcade and start playing video games. Um, the number one single in 1980 was Call Me by Blondie. I would invite anyone to sing a few bars right now. If I, I don't actually know that song. Um, Blondie actually never made it to number one again in the U.S., although they did make it to number one a couple more times in the U.K. Best picture was Kramer versus Kramer, although that was overshadowed by another movie that was released in 1980 called The Empire Strikes Back. Um, some of you might have heard of it. Uh, and the Grammys still had a disco category. Um, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor 
won um, the Grammy for that. And I don't know if any of you can tell who the picture is there on the bottom. That is our president in 1980, Mr. Barack Obama. (laughs) And on that same note, and in the current climate, um, this also happened in 1980, which being someone who started voting in the year 2000, this this is a foreign picture to me. You have blue in the South and red in the rest of the country. Um, well, I'll, I'll leave the social commentary to you, but we elected a new president with this map. And I was only able to find a picture of one trustee member from 1980. This is a picture of Mr. Iverson in 1980. What he looked like? Where am I going with this? We have a new classified employee of the month. Her name is Sandy Ross, and she began working here in 1980, 36 years ago. Um, Sandy, so 36 years at Napa Valley College straight. She's been here that whole time. Um, based on what I can find in data, tell that is 110,171 credit students served while she has worked here. Six different presidents, seven if you count both Rons, eight if you count both Armands. Um, And in 2014, she survived cancer. She kicked its butt. Um, She is our employee of the month, but the reason I'm making a bigger deal about it is she is retiring this month, and it's also on your board. And she, if you know Sandy Ross, to know her is to love her. She is a... Well, she is the first person that greeted me on this campus and walking on here from Southern California. I didn't know anyone. The first thing she did was hug me, and that was an amazing feeling, and I still, every time I see her, I feel that hug, and I think she treats everybody that way, and it will be hard to replace Miss Sandy Ross on this campus. So, Miss Sandy Ross, our Employee of the Month for March. Thank you. very much. Faculty Association Report, Diana Shabodi, President. So, hi. I can't see you guys over there on the other side of the screen. But, um, so, um, I um, want to echo some of, some similar concerns to what my colleague here mentioned. I was um, I'm curious and concerned to see a couple items on your um, consent calendar, per, calendar personnel doc. I was surprised to see positions for non-credit curriculum developers. I don't know what those mean at this college. I don't know why we're hiring people hourly to write any curriculum for the college. Um, even non-credit or credit curriculum is faculty driven and if we were going to pay somebody to write curriculum um, we should first offer that to the faculty that are currently on our campus and I also noticed there's about a little over 1300 hours dedicated to part-time counselors and so it that's the equivalent and that's 1,300 hours this semester for part-time counselors. So it kind of makes me wonder why some of that, why we are not actually looking at full-time hires for those positions, since that's a little more than two full-time faculty 
um, positions for the semester in counseling um, that are being, um, rather than hiring full-time counselors, we are using um, a whole bunch, several people, um, by the hour. And one of the things about um, counselors is they have already have a lot to remember and a lot to know about a variety of programs that have a tremendous amount of detail in each one. So it just calls the question of why we're, why we're um, doing it in this fashion. And um, so that's one piece. We are hopefully hoping to see some resolution with some of the stuff that's happening at the table right now. As you know, as I mentioned last month, we still do not have a contract. And we hope to start working on some edits with that contract since it's important that your faculty are under a contract. Um, so that's it. I hope you all enjoy the rain and we can see a little less drought. I encourage you to spend some time um, walking in the rain. Splashing in puddles is still important in adulthood. Thank you. Thank you very much. 7.0, the superintendent-president's report. Dr. Ron Kraft. Hello, and uh, welcome. Um, a couple things I wanted to, I did enjoy the rain, actually, on Friday as we decided to move on Friday. That's why I missed the PEP forum. Um, all my plans went out the window of a quick, easy move to a drippy, messy something. So I appreciate your your comments on that, and I totally agree. And I had sent um, emails to faculty and some other folks letting them know um, that I had missed that. Um, I'm happy to address some of the issues that, that come up. They're personnel issues and HRs, but, but, so I won't do it now. But, but um, good rationale, and I think that the classified will find the rationale cost-saving, which in the long run will allow us to hire more, hire more classified. I think. So that will be clear. Um, let me jump just a little bit, as I normally do, and because uh, Bill Hardy finds these fascinating um, meetings, but I always try to get him uh, up and out as soon as he possibly can. So I'm going to I'm going to skip mine, Bill, and go to yours for a minute, and then come back to mine if we can. All right, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, this is uh, no, I, I I do enjoy these these meetings. Uh, the but there's not a lot to report on. I noticed that you had a couple of items on the agenda for the uh, MOU, which was the first thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, we did, I hope, uh, put this to bed uh, by uh, you had, uh, the board had counsel examine the document that we had presented, the amendments that we had presented, and uh, we uh, amended the, what, what our document was pretty much in conformity with what, that, what your counsel had wanted with a couple of sort of stylistic changes. but uh, So I think that's, that's pretty well taken care of, hopefully. Uh, it is on the agenda for later. If, if, uh, if you have any questions on that, I'd appreciate the, the opportunity to, to unburden myself about them. The, uh, we have a couple of new board members coming on. We'll have more about that later. The, uh, we've had a, a very favorable meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago with our, our, our quarterly meeting with uh, uh, a student representative Ben uh, Casada was was there and and discussed uh, the needs for the student activity center, which we are going to support. And we're just right now we're just trying to work out the nuts and bolts of that. But uh, hopefully that's going to get done uh, before the our next meeting, which is in in May. Uh, on the VWT planning.
process that we've discussed before. We have an ad hoc group that I've mentioned. Uh, Dr. Kraft is on that group. The, uh, uh, we have talked to an architect, done a walkthrough, and we have now gotten a, a somewhat more precise idea about what our needs are and forwarded that to the architect who's going to help us formulate the, uh, uh, the, the process going forward. Uh, as, as I mentioned, the board, our, our board, the foundation, approved a, a payment for the, uh, the initial planning with the architect because uh, uh, we're not sure, number one, uh, what's going to come of it, and number two, what the full extent of it's going to be. And I understand there's a tremendously long and, and involved process involving the, uh, the, the Department of State architect and others uh, in, in anything that involves changing or, or building a new building. And uh, we're cognizant of that. And, and it, when we come up with a plan that's tangible and clear enough so that we can present it to this board and, uh, and start the process, uh, we'll do that. But I'm happy to answer any questions that, that I can uh, in the meantime. So uh, I have no other, uh, nothing else to report from the board. Uh, the foundation's uh, having a good year. It's, uh, it's going to end in June and, and should be, should have been a, a, a terrific year. It'll be uh, uh, my last year uh, as president of the board, and which will make it uh, a doubly good year, I think. The, uh, but uh, on the MO, does anybody have any questions on the memorandum of understanding between the, the yes, foundation? I yeah. believe we have a question here. Did you raise your hand, Amy? Yeah, I thought we should talk about it when it comes up on the agenda. Oh, okay. Right. I, I had a question, though, um, about the building... I'm wondering, I don't know if this is for you or Ron or who this is for, but I was wondering last time, um, how was it decided that that would go through the Napa Valley College Foundation versus the VWT Foundation? Well, you know, it, it's really not going through the, 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 our foundation. Uh, it, it, it ultimately probably will be through the VWT Foundation. It's just we're, we're initiating it. Someone has to get, get it started, get the ball rolling, basically. And that's our, that's our, our only, only role. I mean, we, we want to get the ball started, get the ball rolling, and raise the money, and uh, uh, that's that's our role. And then we're out of it. Are they involved at all? Is it a, a collaboration between the two? As far as because you said there's an architect and there's designs. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. We we we've we've initiated it. We've formed this ad hoc committee, and we we talked to the architect. We're going to engage the architect to do some preliminary planning so that we have something to talk about when we go out to raise money, because when we go out to raise money, as you, as you know, you have to have sort of a, something to, to look at, something, a physical embodiment. And uh, we're going to try to get that, and we're going to be responsible for that. And then uh, if the fundraising is successful enough so that it looks like it's a viable project, then there will be a lot of other things that, that we have to go through. Uh, you can no doubt tell from my hesitancy that I'm, that I'm not terribly experienced in, in doing projects of this type and, and – uh, uh, I bow to no one in my lack of knowledge about it. But, but I, uh, at the same time, we're willing to push forward and, and uh, engage who we have to engage that does know and, uh, and get something done on it, hopefully, because it's a real need. I mean, there are standing room-only classes at, at the VWT program, and, uh, and it's, it's a core, core need for the Valley. And it's also a core, potentially a core sort of fundraising uh, nexus for us. Ron, does it have to go through shared governance or, I mean, what is the process to bring well, out a new building for the VWT program? Yeah, I think one way to be thinking about this is the 
the foundation became aware, if you remember, maybe a year, a year and a half ago, a group of students uh, came in with s several kind of things to just get the board you know, aware of VWT and the needs of the building, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, I, I think that didn't fall on deaf ears. I think the foundation listened to that as well. So right now, as an independent board, they're independently examining what they would like to do in terms of gifting the college. So as it, as Bill said, it's just too early in the cycle. It it may, it may go nowhere, or it may, I think, hopefully, follow a suit where at some point in time it'll he'll come to this board, show you what we got, and then it will definitely go through. Um, I guess I'll just use your. It's not quite sure governance the way you're thinking, but go through constituencies for input, for conversation. For we're not not going to build a building or allow. The, the Napa Valley College Foundation to just build a building somewhere. It has to fit. If, yeah, if I think that the, yeah. the college would probably notice if we pulled up with backhoes yeah, and started exactly. digging. But uh, I, I no, I, that, that's that's correct, uh, Ron. I, and I, and and that's I, I think that's the point. The point is that this kind of thing doesn't really happen unless someone sort of gets gets it going, and uh, and that's our role to get it going. And and to try to assemble the, the stakeholders in the community who might be helpful in doing this. And, and we've done some of that, and there's a lot more to be done, but we have a list and we know who to, who to go uh, uh, speak, to, speak about it. So uh, I'm encouraged. I mean, I think it, it, people that I've spoken with, including the architect, think that it's got real potential and, and it, it might be a really good thing. But uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of constituencies that we have to deal with, and, and we're, we're aware of that. We'll do it as uh, as politically appropriate as possible. Mr. Chairman, I'd, I'd like to uh, ask that we move 11.4 up. I don't think it's, we need to ask him to stay around all evening while we uh, do our... We would, we would have to uh, make a motion. I'm making it. Is there a second? I'm moving properly seconded. Move 11.4 up right now. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. So you're finished with your presentation, is that correct? Yeah, we are. I, I, I'm happy to answer any questions on the MOU and, if, uh, if there. Is there a motion on 11.4? I'll move approval. Second. So I move them properly. Second. We open it to discussion. Is there any questions? Uh, yeah, I. Oh, well, and I've emailed back and forth with um, Mr. Hardy as well as Dr. Kraft about this and um, my concerns. And the one thing I asked for was to get um, some confirmation. I wanted to see the memo from our legal counsel that the document that was drafted up is um, legal, um, and I haven't gotten that. And so I'm concerned about that. Um, Basically, just to go back for a second, that we received a, a letter from an attorney in 2012, and you've referenced this in meetings, um, drawing the distinction between an auxiliary foundation and an independent foundation. And my concern is that in that documentation, it clearly says that an independent foundation cannot provide publicly funded financial support or services provided by district employees to independent foundations. Um, yet... In 2013, um, we, 
the board approved an MOU that allowed district college employees to work for the foundation with only a portion of their time being reimbursed. And now in 2015, the one that's being presented to us, I'm even more concerned about because there's not even any limit to the amount of that time. Um, At least before, there was a limit set on the amount of time that those college employees could work for the foundation. In the current draft that we're asked to approve tonight, it says the district will assign a portion of staff time dedicated to foundation activities reasonably necessary to accomplish the foundation activities. It doesn't put any percent, unlike past documents that have limited it at 10% of their time. There's no limit. It just leaves it open-ended. So I'm very concerned um, that this may not be legal. Um, I asked to see a memo from our attorney saying that it is, and I haven't received that. And so I have a concern about approving it tonight until we see something from our legal counsel saying that it's legal. I had that in the in closed session and laid it in front of you, but we didn't have it. We we digressed a bit, so um, it's there, and um, I can didn't see it. I and then I grab just want to end with um, the 2012 lawyer. He ended with I thought it was a very cautionary note. He he made a comment about the consequences of improper expenditures of public funds. He talked about our fiduciary responsibility and that we had an obligation as. Um, as elected officials to uh, to make sure that we're not misappropriating public funds. And it even went so far as to say that we could be held personally liable if we misappropriate public funds. So, you know, this is very serious. And to protect the board, I would like to see the memo from the lawyer saying that this is legal before we approve this document. And so that's my motion. I move to amend the... Um, There's already a motion on the floor. Right. I'm moving to amend the motion that we send this back until we receive uh, documentation from our legal counsel that it's, it's legal. I won't accept that amendment since I heard the president say yeah, we have I'll, the I'll letter go get from it. the uh, attorney. Yeah. Is there a second? It's on the desk. Second hold. You've already seconded. Moved and properly seconded. So we're uh, all in favor. Signify by saying aye. What are we voting on? Of returning with the the um, document. Approval yeah. of the. Uh, not a, not of eleven four of getting the document. I made the motion it. and I didn't agree to that. When you move to amend the motion, we have to first vote on the amended amendment to the motion. So that's what we did. Okay. I didn't. So for your musical interlude here, is there something we could play, Jeff? <laughs> Are we satisfied? Wouldn't we satisfy we don't need an amendment? She asked a question. If he supplies that, why do we need an amendment? Question. Because it was an addition. I think I brought it in. This is a, I'm sorry, this is an email chain from the attorney. And so I had hoped that, and if not, Carolee can create it again, because I may have misplaced it, or it's in that pile of papers back there. Uh, sorry, Carolee. If, if I. Yes, go ahead, sir. Uh, 
There was also that the, there was a sort of editing notes that the attorney made and read beside the uh, beside the text, which is pretty self-explanatory and sort of explains why each of the changes that that your attorney made were made. And quite frankly, there were like one of the one of them that was substantive, and the rest were just sort of stylistic. Because I think that the agreement uh, is legally binding and, and it's fine and it, does, and it satisfies the requirements that that. Uh, that same law firm had previously, but obviously I'm not the one to judge that. It's up to you. So the, we had a, so a lawyer generate this document. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It says the uh, so our board attorney the generated foundation. the MOU. That, no, a board attorney had generated the uh, the amendments that we, we. I'm not sure how the original MOU well, got done. Well, I, I can say yes. Our board attorney created the MOU, and then which is this document, then, that several years ago. They created the one that you pointed to that you didn't like or you did like, I'm not sure, but they created all of them. Then the foundation looked at this MOU, retooled it. It went to, back to our attorney, which is the memo that she's getting you, who, who um, said, great, we're, we've made the, you've made the changes and addressed the things that we'd like, and we're all good with it. So that's kind of where we are now. It also went through the committee, and we had our trustees that were on the committee, myself included, go through it and went through the suggestions that uh, Laura Sulkin had um, addressed, and we made those changes. So the it's Dr. It's Laura Sulkin that gave the direction. Uh, not Laura, Eileen, her her um, co partner. So here, because for me, there's two levels for this. There's one, is it legal, and then do we want to do it? And I just wanted it first established whether or not it's even legal. The, the second part is, would we want to do it? And I guess what I'm curious about is when you look at what defines an auxiliary foundation, um, in, in the case of the auxiliary foundation, it says that district employees can work for the, the district, um, the auxiliary foundation, but they must be completely reimbursed. The college must be completely reimbursed for their services. So, and there's all this oversight from the college over the auxiliary. The independent, there's no oversight. Um, they don't have to um, report, do an audit report to the district. Um, our board doesn't have to approve their board. They don't have to have a CPA or legal services. Um, they really can spend the money on whatever they want. So there's no oversight. So I'm confused why when, with an auxiliary foundation, when, the district employees would, the college would have to fully reimburse, be fully be reimbursed, and there's all this oversight. Why, when there's no oversight, would they only be partially reimbursed, and why would that be okay? So that's my first thing. And then the second thing is, how is this in the interest of the, the district? To have no oversight over an independent nonprofit, um, how is that in the interest of the district? Oh, I can take a crack at a piece of this. Um, the, the fundamental difference between an auxiliary and an independent 501c3, which is the Napa Valley College Foundation. The auxiliary is a piece and portion of this district. So you have control, I have control, because it is actually an entity of this district. The 501c3 Napa Valley College Foundation is an independent with bylaws and a mission that supports directly the college. So it exists in its bylaws for the benefit of the college. So, so that's that first piece. 
And I, can may I just uh, please uh, chime in? Here? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I want to address that question directly. The, the whole reason that we did this amendment, the, that's why it, it's kind of ironic that, that there's, there's, a, there's a controversy about it, because we, had an, we have an intact MOU right now, which does not contain the language that says that we, we are required as a foundation, that we are required to use the money for the purposes that, that we use it for, which is to support the college and to do, and do, to do scholarships. So we thought on, on the foundation foundation board that to avoid this whole controversy in the future, that it would be better for us to have an agreement which was, which was airtight, which answered all of the questions that Liebert had raised in the 2012 letter and eliminated this whole question. And so we did these amendments which were basically against the interest of our own foundation, but just basically we have the same interest as the college does. We, we work for the college. Our, our bylaws Say we work for the college. We can't spend the money on what we want to spend it on because we're required by the endowments that we administer and by our own bylaws and articles of incorporation to use it exclusively for supporting the college and for, and for scholarships for students. So uh, I, I understand the argument, and, it, and, it's, and it's a fair argument, but, the, but the, all of those objections have been answered by, the, by these amendments, and, and as, as your counsel has, has agreed. Uh, and uh, furthermore, there's, there's never going to be a question. We have, we have a fiduciary responsibility to use the money for those purposes. We have that responsibility to the college and to our, and to our own foundation and to the, to the donors who have created the endowments. I guess my confusion is it's always been emphasized that the college foundation is separate. So to have all this overlap... Um, where you have college employees working for the foundation, they're only reimbursing a portion of that money. And now in this current draft, there's no limit to the amount of time that college employees can spend on the foundation, at least in the old draft. I was already concerned about the old MOU, but at least in the old MOU, there was a limit. It said 10% of, you know, 10% of this position, 10% of that, 5% of another. This one just says that they will be dedicated to foundation activities reasonably necessary to accomplish the foundation activities. What does that mean? We could have college employees spending 100% of their time on foundation activities. And I think that's a misappropriation of public funds Amy, because... What do, you, what do you think is actually going to happen? They're not working on... They're not focused on no, what's what going you, what on here at think, the college. What do you think is actually going to happen with the college employees... That they're not if focused on passed. what's happening right here at the college. They're focusing on foundation activities, activities so that really we don't have any control over. Not do any of their work here. Is that, I don't understand no, what you're what you're worried. What about. I would like to see is a true separation that they lease space from the college at market rate, and they hire their own employees because they're an independent foundation. I would like to see something really clean that you know rent space on the campus at fair market value and hire. Those Their things exist in the like MOU. Both of those things exist in the MOU. They do. They, they pay forty thousand for a combination of things. Mr. For, Chairman, I'll call for the question. Sorry, that I'm we not we're quite repeating sure ourselves at. here repeatedly. We have a motion to approve the uh, the uh, the item, and we we know that the legal counsel has approved it. So I'll call for the question. Where, where, where I, the, I'm confused as to what you're directly asking to Amy. I mean, an MOU between the foundation and the college allows an understanding of what's being provided by the foundation. I mean, it's not changing any of that. I mean, we've had an MOU for a very long time. 
we had an MOU that somebody sent a letter saying was not okay, but that... So we upgraded it by going it, taking it to council for review. It was dissected. I mean, there were several different copies, which you've seen. I don't even know which one that you're actually reading from. You could be reading from an old draft. So I would want to make sure that you're reading from the most... We received a letter from somebody Mr. from the Napa Chairman, Valley Education. The question: Don't we get to have the vote? Yes. Thank it's a two-thirds you. vote to yep. call the question, and I'd like to make one more point, please. Anybody else is calling for the question? Call. I oh. call for the question. Okay. Well, I'd like to. I'm. Question. I would like to move. Marianne called for the question. Dan I'll second the question. I'll call for the question or I'll second, whichever one we need to do. We've we've already spent money by paying our attorney to go through this. So if our attorney is advising us that this MOU is sound and it's not putting the district at liability, I don't understand what the issue is. The attorney for the foundation has looked at it too. It's it's an independent foundation. We, if some, somebody couldn't even do a public records request to get information from the foundation. If they That's did, they true. could deny it. What do you th- why do you think the foundation, foundation exists? But we're going to do the vote. Uh, all in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Oppose? No. And abstention. And Motion carries. Right, where, where did you did you pass out the emails? I haven't seen anything still. No. Um, I think she just put it in front of you. So are, are we on 9.3? Is that... Uh, we'll uh, continue on with the president's report. So we're at 7.3, the vice president's report. Thanks very much, Mr. Hardy. So, so we, we called the question. We went back to, was there an original motion that we had on the table to yes. approve that's, the document? That's correct. So is yes. that what we're moving to? That's, or That's what we're moving that's to. That's what we just voted on. I thought we voted on the call to question. We called the question. So we well, still have to vote on the original. We the two-thirds with the amendment. So, so we're now we're voting on that we need the to vote on the The actual foundation agreement, 11.4. Okay. All those in favor, signify by saying Does aye. there need to be a motion aye. first? There it is already motion. on the table. There was a motion originally. Then someone called the question back to the original motion. So. And how do you vote? Uh, aye. 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 No. Good call, Gabriel. Uh, yeah. Um, let me, um, before I go to the president's, one little piece I want to make sure. If we go back to the president's <coughs> report, that's okay. Maybe I won't take you out of order next time. I, you know, <laughs> thank you, Bill, so much. I appreciate that you came in. I appreciate um, the, all the work that, that you've done, and I think the, the college benefits greatly through the, um, the uh, generosity of the members and your leadership. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I just would like to apologize for being a part of, uh, you know, I mean, the, the calling to question your uh, fiduciary accountability, and uh, unfor- I, that's unfortunate. So I had a quick parting question. How much in donations did the foundation provide last year in scholarships?
I can't hear you from there at all. And I would just add, he's not including the fees. That would be additional. Yeah, uh, right. The, the, uh, uh, just, just so you understand, uh, the, the, there's, there's very little arbitrary about this. You know, the, the, uh, the formula that's used, the algorithm that's used to determine how much of the endowment that we spend every year for, to support the programs that we have is determined by something called UPMIFA, which is an acronym. Uh, I don't even remember what it stands for, but it's something about fiduciary responsibility. And, what it, and, and right now it's 4%, which is considered to be an amount which will get you through the down years by still being able to pay out money for the purposes that you have the, have the endowment. And on the good years, you sort of bank a little bit so that when you get to the down years, you, you can even it out. And uh, that's where the 400 and somewhat thousand dollars comes from. The endowment is around eight million dollars or so, and <clears throat> right now, and and all of the last month and a half of the market has probably gone down a little bit. But uh, yeah, we, we we do that, and then we have a series of endow- of endowments that are separately endowed, and then we have our own uh, uh, money that we spend directly for scholarships. But it all goes either to schol- by by bylaw by Article of Incorporation and by vote, it all, all goes to support of the students or to uh, other than what goes to paying the MOU. And, and, and we, we have our own uh, staff person that we, we, we pay separately. Uh, so, it, you know, it's all accountable. And we do get audited every year. And, uh, and that audit is readily available. In fact, it's approved, I think, by this board. So, Right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much, sir. Let me draw your attention then um, quickly just to one thing. It's a statewide issue. Diana is involved in this piece, or I think at least, Diana. But it's interesting. This is getting rolled out by the, the um, chancellor's office just this week on the student success scorecard skill builder. For years and years and years, I, I think those non-completers in the career and technical courses took, kind of took a hit, or the college would take a hit. People would come in for three classes or two classes and therefore, they weren't, these people were not successful, in, in quotes. Um, the reality is they start to pull the data, and they are successful. And we knew that qualitatively, but they pulled data to start to research this, which means basically a good example would be our viticulture program. We have a lot of folks who work in the industry who come in for one, two, or three classes. No intention really of going after the cert or the degree what they're trying to do is to move up, you know, from one position in the winery to another position. And what this report, and I would really draw your attention to it, um, is showing is that um, quantifiably people are um, earn nearly, uh, what, a 14% raise, median gain of $4,300 based on these non-completers. The, where we're trying to go, the next step here, and I've, I'm alerting you, in 2009, and 10, the SSSP piece, the Student Success Act, started to really roll through the system, big shockwaves. And what we really felt was that this big wave of dollars to support this success was com- coming this way, and it did. This is another good news piece for us. This, the workforce and career and technical piece is going to do that exactly. As, as they start to prove the case here, these low-unit certs, a two-class or a three-class, where it's not for everybody. It, this isn't for, you know, somebody who wants to, 
you know, transfer or get an AA degree, but there is a pathway for a person who wants to come to the college, make their life better. Maybe they return later, but, but um, it's a fascinating report. Big news. I would expect, and I don't know, Diane, if you have any, any more on this, but, but, but everything that I hear is that the, the dollar flow on this is going to match triple SP, which is very significant to the system. And so it's exciting news, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to the CEO conference, the, the statewide CEO conference, um, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. This is one of the big topics, and I'm, I'll bring that back for us ne- next time as well. So with that, uh, let me move to the vice president's report. And, and um, um, Oscar, I think you had uh, um, something that you wanted to lead with. And yeah. And, and if, and if Carolee, if you could please uh, put up the agenda for the high school breakfast. But first, I, I wanted to, to thank and, and acknowledge the comments that you made, Diana, on support you for more counseling. I appreciate that very much. Uh, this is the, the activity that some of you have already RSVP'd and some of you have not. Uh, but I wanted to share some very good news about this event. It's the 11th year we've had it. It's an event that, that I started when I arrived here. And um, uh, we, are, we are currently at 97 RSVPs from 25 different uh, high schools and two middle schools. And so um, the highest we ever had was in 2013, which was 74 RSVPs. So we have 23-plus more more uh, more folks that that we attending uh, than in 2013. Uh, if you see what you see on on schedule, there's a change that I need to make. One is that uh, for the psych tech pro- program for that segment, uh, Ramale, I believe, is on medical leave, so he will not be able to be here. But uh, we're going to try and see if Mary Williams can join us. If not, then do the two programs. We'll get other five minutes more for the presentations. Uh, within that, also uh, there's a, there's a there's a page on on the back that has uh, several um, tables where, where, the, where the participants will be able to interact more with our staff. There's nine different uh, themes that will be discussed, um, and so we've, we, we hope that that's something that they're looking forward to. And I think they are because, again, the number of the RCPs is really surprising. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very pleased. Um, and also one of the presentations will be made by my own Chris, Chris Farmer, about three years ago, he started to share information on the uh, capture rate that Napa College had from the high schools that we serve. And it seems to be a, 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 an item that, they, that the schools look, look forward to, see how many of their students or their graduates from that particular year have come to Napa College. So, uh, Chris, we look forward to your, to your presentation, but don't be too funny, please. Uh, uh, the, there's a couple other things I, would, I want to share just uh, very, very briefly. Uh, I, I have a bad habit of uh, when people come to me and say, you know what, could you think you might be able to help us with this project? And I always say yes. And so there's two projects that are, that are coming out this month that I'm, that I'm very proud of that Napa College is, is, is going to be a part of. One is that on March uh, 21st, which is the first day of our spring break, uh, Napa Lake College will be hosting the uh, District 12, Re- Region Dis- District 12 of NAFSFA. And NAFSFA is a National Association of Foreign Student Ad- Advisors. Basically, it's a group that assists that uh, the agents, the, the colleges, all the politicians, well, I'm not politicians, but staffing that assists with international students and that whole uh, program and, and the processes. So we're going to have about 250 people here from uh, Northern California and Southern uh, California as well as other states. Uh, and I want to thank Catherine um, 
from the PAC uh, for having given us the, the, the authorization to use the PAC. I want to also thank Matt Christensen for having assisting with, with this project as well. The other major project that's also a first, probably, it's a first in the sense of, I don't think it's happened in about 35 years here, but uh, on March 31st, uh, in the PAC, we will be hosting the oath ceremony for citizenship uh, that usually is taking place in San Francisco, Ross and Oakland. And this is uh, one that's sponsored by the Up Valley Fa Family Centers uh, in St. Lena and Calistoga, which I uh, am a board member. And so once again, I want to thank uh, Catherine for, for participation in, in having us use the PAC and also to Matt Christensen for allowing us to, uh, to set thing, things up. So things are good, things are exciting, and um, I look forward to seeing you at high school breakfast on April the 7th. Thank you. I have an RSVP, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Okay. Sorry. I'm really looking forward to the high school breakfast. I've, talking, I've spoken to a few of the counselors, both at Napa High and Vintage, and there's some really good dialogue that's going on there, and I'm looking forward to some of the programs that some of the counselors are working on with their students and the parents at Vintage and Napa High. So I think it's going to be a really successful breakfast this year. Thank you. We'll find out. So um, I, I actually have quite a few things that I want to mention. Um, uh, for, first of all, uh, Guys and Dolls is uh, had its opening weekend uh, this last weekend, and I want to mention that for a number of reasons. First of all, I, I was there opening night. Uh, it was it was wonderful in a number of ways, um, and I appreciate Michael Baldini being there. Um, uh, there was a little bit of a what what eventually Catherine wants to call a gala, you know, for these events. She she doesn't think it was quite big enough yet to call it a gala, but it was nice to have a reception beforehand. Uh, where people could mingle and have a little wine and some appetizers. Um, and I think that's something that you should be looking forward to in the future because that's, that's a way that Catherine wants to help reach out more to uh, the community to basically brag about our theater, uh, theater and musical programs. Um, part of why I want to mention Guys and Dolls, obviously the people involved, Reed Martin, who's a part-time faculty for us, is the director. Uh, Dr. Ivan Wilkes is the musical director, and Pam Rogers is the choreographer. Um, uh, Jennifer's, you know, in the background with this one because she's working on Pericles right now. Um, and they actually started working on this while she still was not in town. So, um, so somebody else had to do it. Um, an important part of this, though, is the first weekend of sales was $20,110. That was for three shows. We have six more to go. And if we want to compare that to the past, um, the total sales for some enchanted evening, which had six uh, shows total was twenty thousand four hundred dollars and so um, and so some of that is obviously the work of quite a few people we have uh, just just as a temporary employee at this point, somebody helping with marketing and that 's helping quite a bit actually for us to do an outreach so hopefully we 'll see more of that. Um, I also wanted to mention, and I asked, had asked Jennifer to stick around so, so that um, she could correct me if I say anything wrong. Uh, you're aware of the salary advancement projects that we do for faculty. Uh, Jennifer's actually starting hers. Um, and one of the things that we had talked about in various um, avenues was, was outreach. And Oscar, obviously, very involved with that, the outreach committee. And, and Jennifer was kind of the perfect person to get involved in outreach. And so basically for her project... She's going to research what we need. Um, she's then going to write a short play, 
and then um, basically acted, and we will um, act well, not just Jennifer. It won't be a one-woman show, um, but, but, but the idea will be that this is something that we can go out, our students can go out, we can also tape it so that it can be on the website, various things like that, and it will be a, a, a tool that we can use as outreach. And I think you can see from her presentation on our sabbatical today that this is a perfect time for her to do it because she's so energized, and I'm looking for that physical aspect of acting that... Um, I, I would never have said anything about like that about acting in the past. So thank you, Jennifer, for that. Um, the other so things I wanted you to go beyond that. Sure. Uh, is, is you're aware we have a seat on the Napa Valley TV board uh, as part of a old uh, joint powers. Um, I'm currently filling that seat. That could also be performed on Channel 28, uh, and they now have the capacity to do live streaming. So good opportunity. We haven't finalized her contract on that salary advancement, so we'll, we'll add that. Okay, Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you, Joanne. That's great. Um, I, just really quick, I, I also wanted to follow with what Amanda said about PEP, the PEP forum. Uh, it, it, it is, for those of you who have, who have not been there, I, I, I would actually encourage the board to try to make it to that. Um, it's a great opportunity for dialogue about the various programs. Um, I've, I've been to two, so I don't have a lot of experience with them. Um, I can say that there was a lot of good conversation that happened about these programs, so it wasn't just people reading a report. It wasn't just, you know, thank you for doing this, doing that. There, there actually was a lot of good dialogue about the programs and the, both what was in the report but the critique of the reports. And, and so um, it was very worthwhile. Um, what I will also say, Amanda mentioned, you know, that it must have been fun to do the cooking schools. Actually, um, the three people on the verification team um, did have lunch at the Upper Valley campus um, because because they needed to research what they were actually writing it on. It also should be noted that the primary author of that was Barbara Alexander, and, and she showed up with a bribe, basically. She brought food um, be before that she passed around before her program was critiqued. Um, so there is fun that goes on that day as well. Um, just some things coming up. The Hospitality Symposium, I put a flyer on all of your desks so that if you hadn't seen that already, you're aware of that. That's happening uh, on Tuesday of spring break, March 22nd at the Upper Valley Campus. Um, also, tomorrow is the last day for the McPherson Distinguished Teaching Award nominations um, so that you're aware of that. So you'll be hearing more about that, obviously, as we start um, actually doing that, the work of that. Um, and, and then... Um, I think that was all. Thank you. Terry? Yeah. I was talking to Ron earlier about this, but um, there is an organization called Canvas, Concierge Alliance of Napa Valley and Sonoma, and it would be great, I think, if they could have a tour like we did today, um, and, you know, hopefully the lovely tourists that come into all of the uh, hotels and talk to all the, the concierge that uh, they would send them to our theater for our shows. So I'll get more information from you on that so that yeah, we I can... Think their website is, I just pulled it up, it's uh, conciergealliance.com. Okay, thank you. You good, Terry? Is that it? Oh, Okay. Yes, sir. Bob. Thank you. 
So uh, I'm here tonight at our last board meeting. I mentioned the fact that we had a fairly major institutional technology project coming up, and we are about to launch that project, and it will be completed before our next board meeting. So I wanted to give you an update on the timeline for that, and that is our colleague server migration. So just to give you a little bit of background, we implemented the colleague enterprise resource planning, or ERP, system back in 2005 and 2006. We are still running that enterprise resource planning package on servers that we used to implement it in 2005 and 2006. So they are they're, uh, out of warranty. They are getting to the point where they can no longer be supported. And more importantly, our uh, users, our faculty and staff who use the use this system on campus, and more importantly, our students who go into the system through WebAdvisor, are seeing that the response time is not what it should be, and that there are times when the system slows down, there are times when we need to reboot the system, and so we knew that we needed to do an upgrade, but doing this upgrade and moving from the old servers to new servers is a very major undertaking, and so our inf institutional technology uh, staff have been working on this for months now, and they're may not sound exciting, but we're pretty excited about, about this project. I probably should have had Chris show me how to use Prezi so that it might make a little, might have looked a little more interesting, but let me just talk to you about the timetable. So we have acquired the servers. All of the servers were on site prior to February 29th. The servers will be set up by close of business tomorrow, so they will be ready uh, to have the software loaded on them. We will be working next week, or our information technology staff will be prepping those servers for installation of the colleague software, uh, and that will close uh, on March 18th. That following week, we'll be working with Elucian colleague uh, advisors, and this will be remote consulting, but they'll work with us remotely to load that colleague software onto those servers. So that will be happening the week of spring break. The same, in that same week, our institutional technology staff will then be setting up a testing room, room 1540, just down the hall here, that will be used to test in a test environment to test the response time and the way that the system works. The following two weeks, we will have uh, end users, system experts from throughout campus, go into that testing room periodically and test the key processes that they need to do that, and make sure that those key processes are working in the new environment. Once they have confirmed that and that confirmation would take place by April 8th, then the plan is on April 9th, and the reason we selected April 9th is that the uh, last bank of classes for the spring semester start on April 4th. So it seemed to be an ideal time. We worked it out with uh, Terry to make sure we didn't interrupt uh, uh, any registrations for the spring semester. Um, we, we, that's why we selected April 9th as the time to do the cutover, because what will happen is that during the cutover, there will be a period of time when WebAdvisor is not available. But 
If all works as planned, and we expect that it will, we will decommission those old servers on Saturday, April 9th, and the new servers will be up and running on Saturday, April 9th. And we only expect a few hours of downtime. And we'll be advertising that through WebAdvisor to let our students, faculty, and staff know that there will be that period of downtime on April 9th. When we all come back, new servers will be in place. System will be running on the new servers on April 9th. And system response time will be definitely improved when people come back to work. When, if students log in on the 10th, if people come into work on April 11th, they will see that system uh, response time will be improved. And most importantly, the system will be ready for us to load some enhancements and upgrades that we've been holding off on uh, because the servers were uh, in need of replacement. Now, one thing that we keep pointing out to manage expectations is that when staff come in on April 11th, um, when students log into the system on April 10th or April 11th, nothing exciting is going to happen. It will, it will look, it's exciting for us, but for them, no confetti will come out of their computer. No streamers will fall from the ceiling. It will look like WebAdvisor has looked for the past few years. But the important thing is that the response time will be better, the downtime will be minimized, and we will now be positioned to start moving those enhancements into production that will really make the changes that students will see and make the changes that students, faculty, and staff have been waiting for so that the product that we present and the services that we provide through WebAdvisor will be greatly improved. And those improvements, we'll start to see those improvements over the next few months. And the plan is to have many of those improvements in place for registration for the fall semester. Thank you. I guess that's it for my report. Very good. Thank you very much. Moving to 9.3 under information and discussion items. Educational master plan update. Okay, uh, good evening. Um, you'll recall that last month I provided a detailed report on the EMP update that is being compiled this year. And just to refresh your memories, um, that report included some context for the EMP update and highlighted the differences between the 2013 to 2023 educational master plan and the 2015 to 2016 EMP update. Um, it also included a draft of the data compiled to date and the general timeline for the project. Um, so for this report, I'm going to focus on a brief update. Uh, the backup materials for this meeting include um, the general timeline, again, along with the draft recommendations uh, emerging from the EMP, which are framed as challenges and associated strategies. Over the past several weeks, we have shared the EMP data and draft recommendations with the campus community by uh, first distributing them via email among constituent groups, and that's been facilitated through the Senates and the ASMVC president, all, all of those presidents. Um, 
We have also collected input by attending meetings of the respective senates and uh, as well as campus communities. And we have also held a series of campus forums to collect input and provide opportunities for faculty, staff, and students to ask questions. Um, in addition, we collected input from individuals via email, which was coordinated through the constituent group presidents or sent directly to me. And through a number of post-it notes, which are really just large pieces of butcher paper that were posted around campus to collect input for those who might want to remain anonymous, um, including in the library and in the ASMVC office to ensure that students had access um, to those activities. Um, for that part of the project, we asked members of the campus community to focus on identifying any challenges that were missed in the draft recommendations, any additional data that should be incorporated into the EMP update, and that was really to, designed to strengthen the linkages between data and, or evidence and our planning systems. And uh, also we asked for input uh, focusing on the wording of the challenges and the strategies that were included in the draft document. So I compiled all of the input collected through those various channels and created a summary of the suggestions. And that summary was shared with the EMP Steering Committee at the meeting last week. And earlier this week, a subcommittee of the Steering Committee reviewed and considered all of the input that had been compiled regarding the challenges and strategies. And that input was used to edit the challenges and strategies. Uh, I'm working on putting the finishing touches on the completed EMP document so that it can be shared with the steering committee and then distributed among the campus community via the constituent group leaders. And the president's office is working to schedule a meeting of the steering committee to finalize the complete document for campus review. Uh, we're doing our best to stay on schedule, um, but the timing of spring break has created some uh, challenges for us in getting a meeting scheduled before the end of the month. Uh, the complete version of the EMP update will include introductory material to help frame the purpose and describe the process that was, be that was used to develop the EMP update, um, as well as the data and accompanying narrative that you reviewed last month and the challenges and strategies that are being refined based on campus input. Uh, at the EMP forums that were scheduled by the Office of Instruction, Dr. Juni emphasized that the data, challenges, and strategies included in the EMP update are based on what might be considered a 10,000-foot view of the institution.